The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. Impact investing is an investment strategy that aims to generate specific beneficial social and environmental effects in addition to financial gains according to Investopedia. It is upheld as a societal good, but it does not include devoting your life to helping others. The greatest gift of giving possible is your life's work, says Paul Sidnam, and he's a living example, having done just that for the past 40 years. Sidnam dedicated his life to international humanitarian work in Africa, the South Pacific, and the Middle East, to name but just a few locations. Sitnam says, I quickly dispelled myself of the notion that I was going to save the world. I just tried to do the best I could with the situation I found myself in and the resources that were available. He goes on to speak to the power of empathy over sympathy. Humanitarian work, he says, must facilitate victims of a disaster in a manner that allows them to regain their dignity. They need to be treated as much as possible as partners rather than as vulnerable people or beneficiaries. Because he goes on to say no one likes to be thought of or treated as a beggar. I invited Paul Sittenham to join me for a conversation that matters about making a difference by being where assistance is needed the most, on the ground. Paul, welcome. Thank you very much, Stuart. Much appreciated. You have devoted your life in service to others. What was it that drew you into being there for people who needed help when they needed it the most? There are many factors, and some of them I, I can't even say what they were, but there was a desire to travel. It was a desire to a liking for other cultures and getting to know them. And I guess, the, as I said to you before, the genesis of the idea was that I said, well, maybe I can do something. You know, I can, I can help out with whatever skills I have. I can stay in Canada and also just get a, a job and then that's it. But I needed a bit of adventure in my life to do something different that was what I could say, okay, I did it. And I knew there were going to be some bumps along the road, and there are many. But uh, it was just a desire to see the wider world as a Canadian and uh, do something for others. I, yeah, little did you know what you were getting yourself into. Not at all. Just it was. I thought I was just going to be like a volunteer, helping people, giving things, and all that. But um, I quickly lost that idea, and I said, "You got to do more than just give. You have to work with others and raise them up a bit, so they can work with you, so that we can solve some of those problems that people have when you want to help them." And then myself, I'd work myself out of a job. You worked yourself out of a job. Oh, yeah. Why? Because you were successful in helping them uh, find their footing? I, I believe it was that. I, don't wanna, I wouldn't want to go as far as saying it was always me that helped them find it. But I said, I've done enough. And you've got to know when to stop and then go somewhere else where there's more need. And say to the people you're helping, now get on with it. Sometimes you have to be a bit tough. And this is what I'm saying about empathy versus sympathy. I said, what, I, what would I do if I were in their position? Get on with it. Here's some help, but I can't come back and help you all the time. So how do you do that when you, in essence, are parachuting in from 
you were you were raised in Canadian culture at a time when we've been doing well, uh, relatively, uh, especially uh, compared to other societies. You yeah. parachute in. Uh, how do you develop that empathy and provide the sort of uh, the kind of support that is required? In those different locations. You know, again, Stuart, it's a, it's a matter of getting a job done, and the most effective way that, I guess, I, with my personality, my knowledge, whatever I have, whatever I can do, it suited me better to to be more of someone who collaborated with people rather than just giving an aid, give, being an aid giver. As I said, nobody likes to be thought of as a beggar, and. I quickly worked in a way to say, okay, let's see what the local people can do and make my job easier. I can't do everything. And it was beneficial to get people and bring them up to a level where they could have confidence in themselves. You look at their dignity and you work on that. It says, you all can do it. Get on with it again. I was a bit tough. I, I, was, never, I was never afraid of being tough. Not rude or uh, cruel, but I said, you can do it. And I think they appreciated that because they, they, they thought the people I was working with, they knew I meant business and they knew I wanted to help them the best way I could. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Developments, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. In the resume that you sent to me, uh, you first of all went to Papua New Guinea in Tanzania, is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I went to Tanzania in 1980, and then I went to Papua New Guinea in 1982. So I did five years of volunteer work, which really shaped my view that this is the work I should be doing. You and did volunteer work for five years? Yeah. I mean, you know, just with Canadian organizations, Canadian University Service Overseas was, was, the, was the big one. And you know you get a you get a, a salary a local salary, but they they were interested in seeing can this guy stick it out for a minimum salary and all that or was I just there for a good time? I was there to learn and I was there to try and contribute and see maybe this will be a career for me in the long term. Which is just, that's the way it panned out. I was very lucky. Well, what was the situation uh, in Tanzania? That Tanzania you were... was uh, it was interesting because I was going to more development work at the start. And so this my background is business development and business management. I was seconded to the Tanzanian Ministry of Small Industry hmm. as an economist to work with them to get projects going in the rural areas. And I was posted to the rural areas. And I worked there and I really enjoyed it. So I did whatever I could to get local industry up and running. Small business development, local industry. It was really a fun job. And so you were consulting with people who uh, had a natural entrepreneurial uh, yeah. uh, need. Uh, you're, yeah, quite, quite right, in men and women. But I had to first learn the language because their, their English wasn't that. Wasn't the, they, I mean, they were raised in Swahili, so I picked that up. I went to Swahili school for about a month. And I picked it up. I liked languages. And so they really liked this guy who came in. They started speaking their language and listen, we can do this, we can't do that. What can we do together? And that's the way it kind of evolved. What did you do in Papua New Guinea? In Papua New Guinea, again, I came out as a business development advisor. And I was posted to a very remote island off the coast of Papua New Guinea, about 240 kilometers, a place called Woodlark. And I was posted to a business that had been developed by the Australians that were there, but they'd left. 
And it was a business that did a bit of logging, uh, ebony, ebony harvesting, uh, a trade boat went around to all the islands and uh, supplied people in these islands. Um, so basically that was it. It was more like the development of their a selective timber industry that they would cut and then sell it off to foreign buyers who would come in. Uh -huh. So you, in essence, were showing them how to set up and run their company. Or am I overreached they, there? They were. They they already knew, but they kept making. They were making a lot of mistakes, and they were. They didn't have confidence in themselves that they could do it, the way it was needed at that time, to get the job done. So my my job was there as like a cheerleader, to say yes, you guys can do it. Let's do it all, and see what we can do together, and it worked out fairly well. They they were very happy. Again, I had they they, they spoke good English, but I only had to learn a bit of their language, which was fun. Mm -hmm. And I did that, so I could really communicate with them. But your work uh, in uh, volunteering and helping out uh, transformed or, or changed from there being as a consultant. You got much more involved on the ground as you moved I was very up. much involved on the ground. You're quite right. And I, that was a good grounding for me and good training mm -hmm. that I would work on the ground with people who probably didn't have much confidence himself, in themselves and they just didn't know really what direction to take with their small company. So I was there to help them, just to guide them and get them to say, well, you do this, you do that, set up the structures, and this is how we're going to work together. Why was that so important to the organization that you were with that they would provide that kind of service? And, and the reason why I ask that is I'm sure a lot of people go, what, you mean you weren't in there helping them dig ditches and drill wells and like uh, secure uh, food supplies? You were there as a business consultant? Uh, and so just trying to get a bit of a better understanding about why the organization that you uh, were with felt that this was uh, a very valuable oh, and yeah, important... Yeah. Because they um, had people already well-trained to do that type of work, mechanics, a boat captain, sailor, you know, people who worked on the boats, People went out and harvested and cut the wood. They wouldn't want me to go out there and cut it because I was not very good with a chainsaw, you know. But mine was just to advise them and say, look, you guys can do this, you can do that. What is your plan? And just to help them plan ahead. What are we going to do and who are we going to sell to? So it, it was, yeah, I didn't really get my hands as dirty as people might think. The others got their, their hands dirty, but I just helped push them along the way so they could be successful and make a profit and then... The thing was to reinvest in their company. And then one thing I did there was I helped them to sell shares. So mm. for, yeah, I helped them to sell shares and that we develop a system of uh, stocks, shares. And uh, for one, well, I guess I'd say dollar, but to them there's the Kina in Papua New Guinea. You buy a share and then at the end of six months, I was able, because of the revenue, I was able to get them, give them back their investment. And that really, they really got into that. They could see that, oh yeah, we can do some get come get something out of this, and that was my main objective towards the end of my stay there. That they got something back monetarily from what they had invested in. Well, and that speaks to what we talked about, or I talked about in the intro about get, helping people get to that point where they don't need you any longer. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I went off on a boat and I said goodbye, and I went back to the mainland. <laughs> but it was very heartbreaking to do that. It's very heartbreaking, but, you know, I'd done enough. And sometimes I think in the, the, the stuff that we do, the humanitarian work, you have to just quit while you're ahead. Mm -hmm. You don't want to stay an extra year or another while. What are you going to do? Go to the beach, hang around, not do much? No. It's time to move on somewhere else. 
Well, and that somewhere else largely has been in Africa. Uh, I would say a good 60 to 65% of the work has been in Africa, yeah. So after Papua New Guinea, I came back and then I uh, got a job offer in um, Democratic Republic of Congo, ex-Zaire. Yeah. And I was sent out there to be um, the uh, logistician for a project that took care of refugees coming in from neighboring Angola because of the civil war there. And then I kind of I stayed there for about three years and I eventually became the program manager because no one else wanted to stay there. It was pretty rough. The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. So what was that like there? When you say it was pretty rough, give me an, give oh, me an sure. idea the, of what the, that the, was the like. The infrastructure was not really developed, hardly any electricity, and people living in fear because of the constant incursions by rebel groups coming in and shooting up the place. But nothing ever happened to me nor the people I worked with. But uh, it was tense. It was very tense. But they appreciated the fact that I stuck it with, I stayed there. I could have easily taken off and gone to the capital and do it, not remotely, but come from time to time to visit. But I said, no, let's work together, see what we can do, where we can get, get to. So we were serving about 50,000 Angolan refugees. Yeah. And you had food, health, infrastructure, agriculture, and social development. And accommodation, obviously. Uh, shelter. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. That's very complex. Uh, yeah, and you had to balance it off of the budget you got from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, because that was our main donor. Mm -hmm. So, in that work then, uh, you're there, you're not being compensated when you're uh, in the DRC the way that you would be if you had stayed and pursued your career in Canada. Uh, not at all. It was reasonable. Um, but the benefit for me, uh, Stuart, was I got to see an interesting country. I got to meet a lot of people and gain experience, which has got a value as well. And if I may add, that's where I met my wife. And uh, yeah, I miss her terribly. She's in Congo right now. But that was something that was really a, a real bonus. <laughs> to meet yes, my would. wife and have yeah. my first, my daughter born there as well. When you're there doing that work, um, you're taking on uh, huge responsibilities. Um, is that uh, another one of the, I guess, professional development benefits to you as a person uh, that you get by doing this work? Because there's nobody else to do it, and yet you're now being uh, put in a position where uh, the demands of uh, the situation and the location mm -hmm. Uh, say, uh, you have to take this on. Either sink or swim. Yeah. And it's a, it's a good education. You, don't, can't, you can't get that in university. It was a school of uh, overseas development and uh, humanitarian work, but uh, very concentrated and really hands-on. And I learned so much doing that. You couldn't help but learn. I also picked up French because I had to speak. I had to learn to speak French, which I did because I couldn't communicate with my wife without it. And I know Swahili, because they speak Swahili there too. But the benefit is that you, it's, it's immeasurable if you're open and you're willing to say, I don't know everything. You know, we come from the West. 
It's a big fallacy that we know everything. You better make yourself humble and learn. In my introduction, I quote you as saying that you uh, fairly quickly uh, dis dispelled yourself of the idea that you could could be uh, a Superman or, or fix everything. You, you go in there, as I was saying, you go in there with our Western culture, you know, the, the Occidental culture, and it's, it's something that happens. You can't help it. You come from a country like Canada, and it's developed, it's got everything. You say, well, I know everything. No, you don't. You have to be humble and learn and say, I don't know very much. I mean, you have a basic education, you have desire to work, but you learn every day that there's stuff you've got to learn and apply. So do you believe that the work that you've been doing and that of the organizations that you're with is making a difference? Like when you take a look at it in Africa, for instance, in the moment, would you say it's getting better? It's... Um, it's a holding pattern from what I did, you know. Mm. I would work, as I said, I'd work with a, with a group or with a job and just say, okay, let's do the best we can with this, with this. I believe what happened in a lot of, when I went into emergency disaster response, is you, you, you help people to regain their dignity and to, and to regain their strength and become better people that could take care of themselves. There I think we did okay. Mm -hmm. they were... Um, and to prepare them for when they eventually went back to their home countries. So you give them back their confidence, you give them knowledge. Uh, well, it's, it's a, it's a two-way street knowledge. It's not just me giving it, but I'm learning. And you say, this is what you're facing when you get back to your country. Are you ready? What can we do for you? And making them partners, they learned how to do this type of work. Mm -hmm. And they were better off when they went back home to look, back, to look after themselves. So there, I think, yes, that was an impact. There's a, a but, uh, you said, a holding pattern as well. What are some of the, the... The holding pattern was sometimes you couldn't do everything you wanted to do because of... Uh, you have to kind of convince the government that what you're doing is correct. And for the most part, they were helpful. But they didn't have the infrastructure, the knowledge also to, to think these things through. The other thing that kind of contributed to the holding pattern was the bureaucracy of the UN and even of NGOs. You had to follow a certain system that to get your money to do this that the other do reports and all that um, so that kind of impeded away all the stuff that one wanted to do mm -hmm. but i would say all that from the un and the government wasn't a real negative it was something i just had to say okay how do i get how do i get over this hurdle mm -hmm. and it made me even more determined but it, the area that or the people that i worked with was in a way limited because you couldn't go too far out so was it kind of just, uh, it just waters down to what you're trying to do. Right. But the work does matter. Very much so. Yeah, the work that you do and the example you give, it does matter. And you, by working with the people and then, you know, doing certain sectors, which they, it's almost like life-saving, you give them confidence and, oh, there are people who care for us. There are people who will work with us and help us get back on our feet, which is very important, and regain our dig dignity. When I went into a program, yes, you give the food aid, health aid, education, shelter, water, very important. But you also always made sure at the beginning that you help facilitate, as I said in the notes I gave you, you help facilitate the people to regain their dignity, that they can do it, and that they're not always going to be dependent on you. 
The production of this program is made possible thanks to the support of Audlin Brown, BD Development, Stem Cell Technologies, and listeners like you. I believe that one of the uh, most interesting aspects of life uh, once we learn to embrace this is that uh, through our actions uh, we make a difference uh, in other people's lives, in the lives of everybody that we touch, but in ways that we can't know. Uh, Very true. And so when I, when I think about, and it, going back to my introduction, I talked about it's actually being there, devoting yourself and putting yourself in that work that makes profound changes in other people's lives, but you can never know for sure because um, where true. they go with that. Yeah, very true. It sometimes is like rolling the dice, you know, hopefully what I'm doing with them will help them. This is what they need. There was a young man uh, that I interviewed in, uh, a number of years ago up at the Penticton Indian Band and was talking about a program that he had gone through. And I said, uh, and this is to your point about uh, confidence, I said, um, what was the thing that you got the most out of taking this program? And he said, well, self-confidence. Mm -hmm. And I asked him why was that important? And he said, well, because once you have it, it's like wildfire. You have no idea where it's going to take you. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He's absolutely right. Because you do, because at the beginning I was wondering, how am I going to do all this work? Learn languages, work with people I've never met before. Will they think I'm just here for a good time? And no, as soon as you, if you're honest and you're straightforward and they can see you're interested in getting them to work and that you're kind of a bit tough with them, you know, so let's get going. Uh, your confidence increases, but not to the, not to the point where you're, you say, well, uh, this is it, I'm, I'm me, I'm here to help, you know, it's Paul, no. It makes you more humble, yet confident. If you can understand the, the yeah. dichotomy between being humble and having confidence, this is what I tried to do. Didn't always succeed when I was doing my work. So, to the, back to the premise that the greatest uh, social impact investment you can make is actually your time and energy towards helping someone else. Yeah. If somebody's listening to this going, okay, Paul, um, I'm, I'm interested. Why should I do this? What would you say to them about uh, a life of giving, even if it's not their entire career, but... Uh, a portion of your life giving in the manner in which you did. Well, I ask them why you want to do it. You know, what is what is behind it? Mm -hmm. What are your reasons? And you examine those reasons. Um, you can quickly distinguish between people who just want to travel and just do a little something and the others who, who really have a, a deep feeling for others in other countries. And they're proud of their culture, but they want to share that and learn. That's very important. Can you learn? Can you restore people's dignity? But also your dignity goes up because there's a, a two-way street. Um, so I say, yeah. And then on practical terms, what kind of a degree do you have or education do you have? You don't have to have a degree. You can be a welder. It's your attitude. And this is what I always taught people. I tried my best. Is your attitude is important. Not your aptitude. No. Attitude. You can pick up aptitude on the ground. So they... Uh, that's one thing, and also confidence and that you, what are your reasons for going overseas? And make yourself open to the other culture and on a practical level, learn another language besides English.
It really helps. And it's an investment in self as well as others that's worth making. You can't lose. You really can't lose if you do it that way, I don't think. I mean, I, it's helped me quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and it's always been, in a way, Stuart, has been fun. I mean, there's been ups and downs and all that. Too many ups and downs. <laughs> but uh, in the end, you say, well, you can walk away. Look, I'm now, I'm now almost retired. You say, I've done my best. I hope it's good enough. That's all I can say. Well, from my perspective, it is. Thank you very much for coming in and having this conversation with me. You're much too kind. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And please visit conversationsthatmatter.ca and become a subscriber. And thank you to Audlin Brown, BD Developments, and Stem Cell Technologies for their support.